Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. I am so thrilled today to welcome Tasha Urich to the show. She is an organizational psychologist, researcher, and New York Times bestselling author. She's built a reputation as a fresh, modern voice in the business world by pairing her scientific grounding in human behavior with a pragmatic approach to professional development. Over her 15-plus year career, she's helped thousands of leaders from public companies to early-stage entrepreneurs improve their self-awareness and success. Her TEDx Mile High Talk has been viewed more than 3 million times. In 2019, she became a Thinker's 50 Radar as one of the 30 emerging management thinkers in the world. She was also chosen for more than 16,000 candidates as one of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 coaches to advance the practice of leadership. Her first book, Bankable Leadership, debuted number eight on the New York Times bestseller. Her latest book, Insight, delves into the connection between self-awareness and success. It was named a Best Book of 2017 by Strategy and Business and nominated for Best Book of the Year by 800 CEO Read. Welcome, Tasha, to the podcast. It's so great to be here, Tiffany. Thanks for having me. You're such a smarty pants. I was reading that going like, well, she's really a smarty pants. (laughs) I know. I was sort of gritting through that on my end. (laughs) Yes. No, no, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something else. But, you know, I I just want to, for the listeners here, Tasha and I just met for the very first time. We got an opportunity to speak at the Art of Leadership in Canada together with a stellar lineup um, of other women. And uh, I was, you know, both of us were named to that Thinkers 50 list and both of us were up for best business book of the year. I lost to Brene Brown. Were you in that category well, as well? I, I was and I did, and that yeah. seems about right to me. On yeah, my that's interview. what I said. That's what I said. <laughs> so Tasha and I are kindred spirits in the pursuit of you know trying to make a difference out here. So it's really a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. So we're going to get started with something I like to call bullish and bearish. Uh, it's the way to loosen up the guests, have a little bit of fun, uh, nothing too painful. Bullish on the I'm for it side, bearish I'm not for it. All right. You ready? Ready. Buckled in? Ready. All right. All right. First one. Will robots be self-aware? I'm bullish. Oh, I, you know, I have really been off my game lately. I did not think you'd say that. Okay. All right. Next one. This one is uh, uh, a little more personal. Bullish or bearish? Reading Amazon reviews of your book. (laughs) I used to be bullish and now I am bearish. Okay, good. And we're going to dig into that in a little <laughs> bit. All right. And the, and I agree with you, by the way. And the third one, uh, also fun, having surfing as an Olympic sport. Oh, man. I Why not? I'm bullish. Let's do it. All right. Great. Yeah. So, you know, you got to kind of mix it up. I don't want it to be anything that's like too close to the, you know, the home totally. turf has to be fun. <laughs> and I live in a but landlocked I, I'm state, just... so I'm not sure that I even have the credibility to have an opinion, but nonetheless, I have one. Yeah, I, 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 I've sort of, I'm for it. I, I got to say, they, they've added some new sports. So uh, surfing was one of them. So I was, I was, I'm from Hawaii originally. So I was like, I'm all in. That's great. Very cool. All right. So we're going to, I want to start with at the, you know, kind of the top of the story because um, you've been 
really pushing this conversation around being self-aware and self-awareness and success and how that ties together. And, you know, being uh, in the audience of your keynote at that event we did in Canada, I was fascinated by everything you sort of talked about. But I want to make sure that we ground ourselves in the definition, sort of what is self-awareness? Let's start there. It's a great place to start. So the the brief background on this is I've been, as you mentioned, an organizational psychologist for many, many years. And I always suspected that self-awareness was a, a highly important skill, not just for leaders, but for anyone who interacts with other humans in, in the 21st century. And my research team and I started a um, really a first-of-its-kind research program about five years ago because we wanted to answer some of these questions. We were surprised to find that there was not a whole lot of empirical research on the topic. So there's a lot of you know kind of common wisdom going around that, as it turns out, is not always correct. So the first question we had to answer in that process was what really is self-awareness? And it took us almost a year to come up with this. It was kind of maddening. But what we came out with was that self-awareness is made up of two types of self-knowledge about ourselves, both of which we need to have to be you know, considered self-aware. So the first is something we named internal self-awareness. And that's, I think, what most people think of when they hear that term. It's seeing yourself clearly, knowing who you are, what you value, what you're passionate about, what you aspire to accomplish and and experience in your life. But just as important on the other side of the spectrum is something we named external self-awareness. And in a nutshell, that means knowing how other people see us. And it it was fascinating to me, at least, to find out that those two types of self-knowledge were not related. So then, as we psychologists love to do, you can put it on a two-by-two matrix. You know, you can say high on one, low on the other. And and what that really does is it it gives us a roadmap for developing our self-awareness to say, you know, how much time and energy am I spending clarifying who I am to me? And then how much time and energy am I spending learning how I'm seen through other people's eyes? Um, so I think to your point, it's really foundational to to sort of know that landscape. And, and you know, ultimately, you know, I, I'd say this, I remember half my life ago, so it's very early in my uh, career, and I wanted to become a manager. You know, as an individual contributor, I wanted to become a manager. So my, you know, boss's boss's boss way up said, yeah, you should take kind of this leadership development certification class at USC. I was working in Los Angeles at the time. And before they would start the class, they actually had us do this kind of 360 review. I, I think that that was what it was called at the time, where you would say, hey, here's what I think my strengths are. Here's what I think my weaknesses are. And then we had to go to someone who was a peer to us, someone who was a manager of ours, and then a client like someone Mm. who we did stuff with. And then they would sure that, you know, sort of pulled all that together and you would find the gaps of, you know, you know, I think I'm really charming. And they'd be like, yeah, she's not that charming (laughs) you know, or what, whatever (laughs) it was. I don't remember what it was, but early in my career, um, I didn't actually know what self-awareness was. And it was hugely impactful to me doing those, you know, kind of falling in those two camps, you know, am I even aware? And uh, what do people think of me? But then it was a whole nother journey of of course correcting myself in some areas I wanted to fix. So the next question I would ask you is kind of why do we need to be self-aware? And then I'll I'll tell you what I found out. Absolutely. So the reason we need to be self-aware is it's essentially the foundational skill 
for our success and happiness in the 21st century. And one way to look at it is it, it sort of sets the upper limit for how much we can how much we can um, enact and unearth our own potential. So the research on this is pretty clear. It's been shown quite consistently that people who are self-aware, who know who they are and how they're seen, are better performers at work, they're more promotable, they're better communicators, they're more innovative, more confident. There's even some evidence emerging that self-aware executives uh, lead more profitable companies. And the benefits actually also extend to our personal life. People who are self-aware are in more satisfying relationships, romantic and platonic. Um, this is a, a huge one that audiences usually are very interested in. They're more likely to raise less narcissistic children, and they tend to be better parents overall. And so, you know, the, the case for self-awareness is so clear that my my view is why wouldn't you focus on this skill if it's gonna if it's gonna move the dial in so many areas of our lives. What would it look like to be 5% more self-aware or 10% or 15%? It's really not a matter of setting up impossible expectations for ourselves. What we found in our research is actually that incremental learning and knowledge can be really powerful. Well, and I think you just sort of called out that, oh, would, wouldn't it be better if we were 5% or 10% self-aware? So I think one of the things I found uh scary and humorous all at the same time <laughs> was the stat around how many people think they're self-aware versus the reality. And so, you know, kind of unveil that because when you say kind of five or 10% more self-aware, I think that starts with the premise of uh, everyone thinks they are and they're really not. So what, what were those numbers? So this, uh, this was even more extreme than we were predicting, but uh, according to our quantitative research, this is with you know, thousands of people all around the world, we discovered that 95% of people believe that they are self-aware, but only about 10 to 15% really are. And that usually sends a chill up my spine every time I say it. Um, and, and the joke I always make about this is that it means that on a good day, 80% of us are lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves. And as I've discovered in the process of this research um, is that I, even as a self-awareness researcher, I'm not immune. And part of the journey is, you know, sort of, it's a paradox. It's saying, if I wasn't as self-aware as I thought I was, what kind of learning and, and opportunity for growth would that open up for me? Yeah, and, and, and I would tell you that, so I'm gonna go back to that 360. Probably before I took the 360, I'd be like, ah, yeah, I'm 95% self-aware, right? You know, after I took that 360, I was like, wow, I, it was really uh, telling to me. Like, I, I was really caught off guard, actually, you know, like I thought people liked this and this and me. And it was, oh, sometimes she can be this or sometimes she can be that. And I was like, wow, you know, not at all what I thought of myself or the way I was portraying myself or the way it was being received, right? I mean, it was kind of lots of things. And so, you know, that 15% reality, um, I wonder what it would be now. It was probably really what that was then, but over the years, over the, literally it's been two decades since I did that, uh, you know, I constantly am striving to take content or feedback or results, or, you know, we can go into the reading, the Amazon reviews, trying to have, <laughs> you know, input points and then saying, are there things, is there something in there that I should be hearing and listening to that I should adjust so that. I'm not perceived that way, or I'm more self-aware. Is that the right exercise? 
Absolutely. And and what I will say is you are not alone in that experience. When we researched people who didn't start out as self-aware, but who really made dramatic improvements, most of them could point to one event that really kind of opened their eyes. We, We name them alarm clock events, right? It's, oh, wow, I really have to pay attention to this at a closer level. And again, the beauty of that is so many people go years and years and years without that opportunity. And you know, again, I've experienced them myself. I found out that, you know, (laughs) um, the way people see me isn't always the way I see myself in actually doing some of these exercises that I suggest in the book. Um, and And again, it's okay. It doesn't mean that we're not worthwhile. It doesn't mean that we're not successful. But if we can begin to see ourselves a little bit more clearly, that's where, again, our maximum potential starts to open up. Yeah. And and for me, I would say there are some lessons I continue to have to learn. <laughs> like It's like, yeah, we didn't get it the first time. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm in the same boat. Clearly. Exactly. Or the 10th, right? You know, when you're a little kid, it's like you touch the stove, stove is hot. You learn, okay, I'm not going to touch the stove again. And as an adult, you probably don't touch. And when you do touch the stove, you're like, that was really stupid. I should have known the stove was on, right? Or whatever, right? But there are things that are more personal, like that kind of personal change and investment you have to make where it's like you've touched the stove, you learned it was hot. And, you know, maybe six months, a year, two years, three years later, you touch the stove again. Um, And uh, I have found there are two or three areas that I am very self-aware of, but I have not been able to create a habit that allows me not to continue to do it. Does that make sense? Well, it does. And I think it illuminates a really important point about the journey of self-awareness, which is that when we find something out about ourselves that maybe we find suboptimal, change is only one of the options we have. Um, I tell the story in Insight about uh, an entrepreneur who learns pretty unexpectedly that he was just a poor communicator. And after a a bunch of research, and he did a lot of reading on kind of the neuroscience of communication and and how he believed he was hardwired, he came to the conclusion that no matter how hard he tried, he might not be able to change that about himself. And it wasn't a cop-out. It was an honest assessment to say, you know, I could spend tons and tons of time and energy trying to make an incremental improvement. Or I could figure out what the other option is. And for him, the other option was being very vulnerable, first to himself, to acknowledge this, you know, as as potentially a truth, but then also to other people. So he actually ended up calling a company meeting after he had this 360 process and the results he learned and kind of opening up the kimono and telling people, this is what I learned. This is what I'm doing. This, you know, here's what I think I can do. Here's what I think I can't do. And even that, is a very powerful way of using that data for good. So I think, you know, we assume we have to change and sometimes we need to change and we want to change, but it's not the only option we have. And so how would you recommend, you know, this journey from a, for a self-aware, you know, if someone says, you know, God, I wonder if I think I'm 95 and I'm really 15. <laughs> like that may be a shock. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? Right. And first, first, I guess the first question would be, how do I even know if it's 95, you know, if it's 50? Do you just ask yourself, like, I think I'm really self-aware, you know, is that, is that what you would, would say? So there's sort of a lot of ways to answer this question. I think at just a philosophical level, most of us would be safe to operate under the assumption that maybe we're not quite as self-aware as we think we are. Again, not in a, in a self-loathing way or in a way that um, hurts our confidence, but 
but in a way that's saying, you know, there is a lot more that I could be learning about myself. So that, that's the philosophical level. From a, a sort of practical level, there are lots of ways that you can measure your self-awareness. And, you know, one of them you mentioned is a 360. Um, we actually have a, a free assessment that we put out there as part of the launch for Insight, where it's, it's 14 questions. It's a very, very small subset of a larger assessment that we have. But if anybody wants to take that and then they send it to someone who knows them well, they can get it at insight-quiz.com. Again, I tell people don't make any major life decisions based on this, but it's just a, it's a data point. You know, it's one way to look at it. And then I think generally it sort of doesn't matter where we are on our self-awareness journey. What I learned and what I'm even more confident than I was before is that no matter how much we know, there's always more we can learn. So it's sort of, in some sense, doesn't really matter where we are if we have that mindset of, of courage and openness and the bravery to sort of look for the truth and, and face what we hear. Um, I think that's probably even more important. Well, I also, I wonder if, well, I guess I'm going to ask the question because you would know since you study this, is there is there a difference generationally? And I, do, I don't mean generationally like Gen Z, millennial. I mean, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 40s, I'm in my, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean it. Yes. Because is there a relationship between age and self-awareness? Yes. I was shocked by this and people often have the same reaction, but we found no relationship between age and either internal or external self-awareness. And at first I was sort of frustrated by that because I was like, well, you know, what, what other purpose are we on this earth for than to, you know, see ourselves clearly and make the best contribution we can make. But it, I started to think about it a different way, which was that the other thing that data tells us is no matter how old we are or how young we are or where we are in life, we can still be self-aware. So it's not something, for example, that, oh, I'm 25, I couldn't even dream of seeing myself clearly, you know, something we don't have to sit around and wait for. So to me, I think what that underscores is how, how important it is and how doable it is for us to say, you know, from this moment forward, I am going to make a stronger commitment to being open to, to learning new things about myself. Yeah. So I'm really fascinated by the fact that there was no correlation because I'm just trying to think back, you know, it, I'm just going to use a very basic comment, right? So maybe early in my career, it was like, oh, well, if I talk more, people are going to think I'm smarter, right? Or if a I, common, you know, a common misconception. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and, oh, if I just interrupt people, it, it's not rude. Like I'm just trying, I'm excited, like, or whatever it is. Right. Okay. So then, you know, fast forward, I'm now in my fifties and I'd be like, I'm just going to sit here quietly and listen. And, and th so I feel like over time I learned, you know, being the one who always talks or interact is not make you look, it actually has the reverse effect. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that, exactly. Okay. And so that I feel like comes with experience. And so maybe I'm confusing the two, right? That the experience allows me to have a different, you know, sort of lens on when I'm looking at a situation and how I respond, I think is different because of the experiences I've had in the past. Like, boy, the last time I responded this way, it didn't go very well at all. Like, so let me try to respond this way. And that usually comes with experience. And so I was sort of, I think I was making the mistake maybe of correlating those two things in a similar way where age and self-awareness follows that same kind of experience, uh, you know, uh, track, but I guess not. 
Well, and, and I do hear what you're saying. And I actually think there's, there's a lot to that, which is that, um, you know, we could sort of look at it both ways. So on one hand, just because somebody has been existing on this earth for longer, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be more self-aware. But on the other hand, if they're paying attention, life is going to give them a lot of opportunities to improve that knowledge. So again, it's it's not something that we have to unlock after years and years and years. We can unlock it kind of in a more short-term way. But to your point, if you're paying attention, um, that's where you get to sort of make those improvements over time. Yeah. So, so let me, let me, t- cause that was fascinating. Right? And hopefully, you know, people who are listening to this podcast will take that test and do it and actually figure out if you're really self-aware, I think you're going to be really surprised having done that 360. It was um, really surprising to me. And there's been other things I've done over time where, you know, just, uh, I feel like uh, I'm a constant learner and I'm sort of a student of what I do, but not everyone is that way. But I think this is one area where it can have huge implications in my opinion anyway, and I'm guessing you'd agree as well, Tasha, can have huge implications in both your professional and personal uh, you know, lives. Absolutely. And, and they can influence each other. So for example, um, in my sort of day job, when I'm not being an author and a speaker, I coach senior level executives, mostly in kind of mid to large size companies. And what I've seen over and over and over is you know, this realization, for example, I can think of one executive that I coached. I talk about him in the book. His his pseudonym is Steve. And Steve found out that he was um, kind of a jerk. And he thought he was this amazing, inspirational leader. His team, you know, that was a, a polite word that they, that they didn't use <laughs> when I found out after speaking to them. And Steve was adamant, you know, well, I'm not this way at home. I'm only this way at work. And I remember saying to him, why don't you go test that theory? Why don't you bring your 360 report home to your wife, home to your kids and go over it with them? Um, And I knew obviously what was going to happen because it's pretty much always the case. But he he sheepishly came back the next week and said, well, you're right. It's official. I'm a jerk everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And pretty much. But but to me and, and call me, you know, crazy optimist, but there's something kind of wonderful about learning that, because what it means is if you're working on one thing and getting better at it, you're probably going to reap the benefits in all of the areas of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, the, the other thing I found really interesting, uh, you know, there's, we just don't have enough time to go through everything I found interesting on, 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 on your talk that I had the pleasure of listening to, but one of them was this asking what versus asking why I thought that was really fascinating because I think lots of people do this, you know, ask why, ask why, ask why, like three times, um, and it's going to get you to this answer. But, you know, you're really challenging it and saying, ask what? And I'd, I'd love for you to unpack what that means. So one of the earliest findings in our research program was, um, well, let me back up. What I wanted to establish early on was basically people who are introspective, who reflect on their thoughts and their feelings and their motives are, are more self-aware than people that don't. And, and I feel like that's sort of common wisdom dating back to Socrates. And I was very surprised when we got the data back and we were basically looking at how much time did people spend introspecting and then, you know, how much better off were they? So, you know, their job satisfaction, their happiness, their well-being, their anxiety, their stress. 
And we actually found the exact opposite pattern of what I predicted. So instead of being better off, people that spent more time introspecting were more stressed, more depressed, more anxious, less happy with their lives, less happy with their jobs, the list goes on and on. And at first I was like, oh no, maybe self-awareness is actually bad. Maybe the whole premise of this book is incorrect. But what we discovered is that basically introspection is helpful. However, the way most people go at it is wrong. So what we tried to figure out was, you know, what does this look like on a day-to-day basis? What are the wrong types of questions to ask? And what are the right types of questions to ask? And there's a lot, like you mentioned, there's a lot to this, but the, the summary is we found that why questions about ourselves tend to lead us down that path of um, sort of introspection that not only doesn't lead to self-knowledge, but can make us worse off um, in our lives. So for example, let's say you have a, a meeting with a client and it doesn't go very well. And you might say something like, well, why did I choke in that meeting? We've discovered in our research that those questions are not helpful because not only can we not sort of excavate the subconscious information we're trying to extract, it's just not possible, um, it, can, it can lead us astray. So we find an answer that we think feels true, but that very often actually isn't true. Um, and, and more often than not, those explanations tend to be very negative. They're disempowering. They make us kind of um, ruminate on our current state. But what questions are very different and much more effective? So instead of saying, why did I choke in that meeting? If I ask something like, um, what can I try to do differently in my next client meeting to avoid that? Or what, what role did I play in that meeting going astray? Um, and the difference there, it's subtle, but it's really powerful is that what questions move us forward? They empower us to act. They help us identify and own you know, our parts of the situation and what we can control. And so that's that, that was a very surprising direction that our research took, but it's actually been, I think, one of the most powerfully received um, insights that we've had. And I think you know, I hear from people literally all around the world who have started asking why, or asking what, excuse me, instead of why, and the results are powerful. Yeah, and I find it, Fascinating, right? Because I, I, you know, I I mean, I think there's a number of, you know, very well-known books that talk about the why. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, there's also books on the, on kind of the what, and, and do you think that there's a benefit in both? Do you think that there is, so asking the what, um, and then asking the why or asking the why at certain times, or is it just, you know, I I know that, uh, you know, I'm not looking for a black and white answer that always, it's always this way, but you know, in the mean, what, what do you think? Is it a combination or is it just one? Yeah. And, and to some extent, you're absolutely right that there is part of this that maybe is semantics. Um, and so every once in a while, an audience member will raise their hand and give me a really good why question that is future focused, forward looking, you know, action oriented. And so I think the what versus why is is a rule of thumb. I would never go so far as to say, stop asking yourself why questions. Right. What right, I would right, right. say, though, is maybe start to pay more attention. Because what I think you'll discover, which is what I have discovered personally, um, and we've sort of seen in our research, is that we we default to those questions without even asking ourselves whether it's the right question to ask. 
And, you know, I, you mentioned the experience I had with reading my Amazon reviews. Um, by the way, anyone who's written a book, don't ever, 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 ever do that. And by the way, I knew that and I did it anyway <laughs> when my new book came out um, about a year and a half ago. But what I, what I defaulted to without even noticing was, you know, why, why are people saying these things about me? Why are they being so mean for a book that I, I wrote to make their lives better? But what was interesting about that is it took me several weeks to discover the question that I had been ruminating on. Um, and so even that act, even pulling back and saying, okay, what's my strategy here? How am I going to make sure I'm asking myself the right questions so that this process is leading me to more insight instead of leading me away from insight and leading me you know, down a, I call it the rabbit hole of rumination. Um, so, I, so I do think that's important is it's, it's not 100% black and white. But I think if you ask yourself more what questions, you're more likely to go down that right path. Well, this has been fantastic because I think, you know, I love um, conversations like this where it's something that's actionable, it's something you can lean into, it's something you can do very easily. And so, you know, just as a as a personal comment to those that are listening today to this conversation, you know, it. It, it all comes down to sort of investing in yourself, right? Investing in being uh, the best person you can be and showing up as your authentic self and just being excellent and all the sort of things that you hear and you aspire to be and your affirmations that you do every day or whatever your routine might be. But if you don't know the subtle things that you need to change or improve upon, um, or more importantly, sort of how you make people feel when you engage with them, then you're really just doing everybody a disservice. So I think this has been a really fantastic conversation. Is there anything, you know, that you didn't, we didn't cover that you think is also sort of part of this conversation you want to make sure we don't miss? I would maybe just tack on to what you just said. Um, the idea that one of our research participants said it so well, he said, the journey of self-awareness is a lot like our exploration of space. There is so much we don't know. Um, but every time we learn something, it's interesting and game-changing. And as much as we can have a positive, curious spin on this process, even when the information we're hearing is difficult, I think that's where the magic happens is, is you know, we're not going for perfection here. We're going for better. We're going for slightly clearer. And I think if we can have a commitment to do that, it becomes easier and it becomes something that we can really have as, as a lifelong habit. Well, that's fantastic. So I have <clears throat> two last questions for you. One is, if you could have dinner with anybody, you know, with us or no longer with us, alive or dead, or a couple people, who who would it be? Oh, goodness. I'm just going to say the first thing that popped into my head. Um, I would have dinner with George Washington. I am a very, very big American history nerd. And um after reading Ron Chernow's book about him, I am just fascinated by his leadership style and by the way his mind worked and, and what he accomplished. And you know, I really, I think it would be incredible to hear from him directly because there's so much you know that's said about him, and he was very taciturn sometimes. And um, that would be probably what I would what I would pick for now. 
All right. Well, fair enough. It's it's interesting. It's lots of presidents and philosophers, and then kind of cool people, and then you know some people have been like you know Rumi and you know, oh Rumi's <laughs> good. Yeah, it, it, yep, I felt yep. it came into my mind, and I was like, this is not original or interesting, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> I'll probably think of a really good one when we get off the podcast. That's okay. That's all right. You know, you could just email it to me, text it to me. We'll, okay. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll work it out. It's and then the last one is how can people keep up with what you're doing? Because you're just putting out such great content. And I know that, uh, you know, I, I'm sure hopefully after people have listened to this, that they want to want to learn and know more. So what I've discovered in so many years of doing what I do is it's really not about me at all. And so instead of saying, here's how you can find more about me, what I like to do is to, to point, um, you know, your listeners in this case to something that's going to help them discover more about themselves. And so I'd reiterate the insight quiz. Um, it's insight-quiz.com. It's really helpful because even though it doesn't tell you everything there is to know, it gives you kind of a couple of really actionable tools that you can use right away. And of course, if you want to learn more, um, that'll take you into the website and, you know, I'm very findable on social media. I love hearing from people. So if uh, a concept that, that I've put out there has helped you in some way, it is, it's gratifying and really helpful for other people um, if, if you're willing to share it. So the, the invitation is open. I'm very findable. And I hope some of those resources are helpful. Well, great. Well, again, Tasha, thank you so much uh, for joining me on the What's Next podcast. And I know that uh, we may see each other again soon in another Art Of, but I think we're actually going to see each other in London at the Thinkers 50 Awards. So, <gasps> I, And we'll be in ball gowns and very, very fancy, fancy outfits. outfits. So, It'll be great. <laughs> you know, until then, thank you, my friend, for joining us today on the What's Next podcast. Thank you so much. Wow. What an amazing time I just had with Tasha. I could have gone on for another half hour. I hope you found that as interesting and compelling as I did. I, I have always thought that this was a fascinating conversation around being really self-aware, what people think of you, your communication style, the way you lead, the way you conduct a meeting versus the way you think you do those things. And there's always going to be a gap and some days are better than others. But ultimately, if you're willing to do the work and learn how people view you from the outside, you can really make some very small moves to improve your own personal relationship with those that work with you, around you, work for you, as well as those people in your personal lives. So I hope you found that great. Please watch uh, Tasha's TED Talk. It's really fantastic. You can get even more information about this particular topic. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please subscribe leave some feedback, share with your friends. I appreciate you spending this time with me. Have a great day.